Hello, I'm Joe Brassington. And I'm Tom Brassington. We're both brothers from Burton-on-Trent and we're also both primary school teachers. We've also recently written a children's book which helps to facilitate conversations with children about their feelings and about mental health and emotional honesty. Bottled is a picture book that we'd love you to be a part of. So if you want to head to the Unbound website, you can find out all the information about how you can get hold of your own copy of Bottled and how you can open up those emotionally honest conversations in your home, in your classroom, with your family or with your friends. Right, thanks for coming on, guys. Good to be here. <laughs> um, how have you been getting through the, the lockdown then? How have you been uh, keeping sane at the moment? It's really hard, isn't it? I think it's just so repetitive all the time. We're, well, I'm certainly finding it difficult this time around, just kind of day in, day out, weekends kind of merging into weeks as well. But um, I guess routine is helpful. Um, so yeah, trying to keep getting up at the same time um, doing, like going on a run, doing different things each day that keep a bit of a routine for me. Yeah. For me, it's all about the food. I, th I think about the food, I, I make the food, I eat the food, I think about the food again. It, it, that's what's getting me through the days at the moment. <laughs> Have you learned any new cooking skills? Have you been making any dishes that you maybe didn't make before? Or is it the same thing? Keep it in the comfort thing, zone. The yeah. Thing. Yeah, that's relatable. <laughs> okay, so. Um, you guys are obviously two brothers as well, the same as us, um, but you're both primary school teachers. Um, so we're just wondering like why teaching and why education? It's obviously something you're passionate about, but both of you? <laughs> yeah, I wanted to be a teacher um, pretty much all the way through school. Um, I guess I had a bit of a dream of wanting to be an actor. I did music theatre at uni, so um, that, was, that was the big dream to kind of go to the West End and do that. And then I realised that was always going to be just a dream and so I had to um it's that thing in nativity have you seen that movie when they say um, if you can't act then teach and if you can't teach then teach primary for a while <laughs> I kind of just followed that routine but to be honest like that does primary a disservice it's a, it's a super job I love it our lives are so grossly paralleled because I was I wanted to be an artist so I went to uni studied art I was going to be an artist um, and then whilst at university I did a few placements in a primary school and I thought actually this is a great time like you, you just get paid to teach children new things and have a laugh with them that sounds like a great time um, so and then Tom had trained the year before me so I, I, I started my training as well didn't I? So is there like a family sort of tradition in your family with a lot of teachers and stuff? Or is it just you? Well, you know what? There isn't. But our sister is training as well, which we never would have predicted. So growing up, our sister kind of said it was the, her worst job. She would never want to do it. But then she's kind of changed her mind and she loves it now. Brilliant. And the weird thing is as well that our, so our, none of us really know what our dad does as a job. So um, no idea. he does something to do with trains. And whenever we go to London as a family, he says, oh, I designed that. And did you know about this? So we know vaguely that it's something to do with that. But um, we just show no interest. It's so bad. Like, we are awful in that. It's like Chandler on Friends, isn't it? That none of them know what he does. <laughs> <laughs> you both mentioned that you're uh, creative. Are you still finding time to do those things during lockdown? Um, I'm... I keep writing bits and bobs of songs from time to time. I like music, so I keep doing that. Um, yeah, that's keeping things ticking over, I guess, a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm getting really back into it recently, make, making things, but not 
kind of things I've never done before. So I recently started making plant pots, <laughs> just ordered a load of clay and started making plant pots. Absolutely loving it. So we, we've uh, briefly introduced um, your book, so Bottles, um, but let's um, hear it from you guys. Where did that idea um, originate from? And, you know, was it both, was it like a, a light bulb moment, both of you at the same time thinking of it, or did one of you introduce it to the other? So I, I originally came up with the idea of a book um, called Bottled. It was all about um, bottling your feelings up. Originally, my idea of it was that it was going to be a novel um, for kids, but sort of a longer book. Um, and I shared it with Joe and Joe being the creative person that he is had some ideas about it having some illustrations in it and it and over time I guess it kind of morphed into um, a picture book and really it's kind of a personal thing for me and Joe so we we started the project with the idea that we wanted to talk about feelings with children because um, we think that's really important but then as things went on and um, certain things happened with our family and people within our family experienced mental ill health for the first time we just realized for the first time personally how important the project was and I guess that's when it became would you say that's when it became more of a passionate thing for us Joe rather than just a creative idea right I think so I think it's something we'd spoken about for so long and then when things happened really close to our family we were like let's stop talking about it and actually do something um, so that's when we started to, to kind of get ideas together and start to make something. And what is that process then? For, so from that point where it was like, right, let's actually do this to where you are now, which is obviously brilliant that you've, you've got your funding and stuff now and it's actually going to be going ahead. What is that process like then from there to, to where you are now? I'd love to say that it was a, a, um, a really artistic process, but it was literally just a, a shared note on our iPhones that we just wrote ideas into initially. Um, kind of I would write something and Tom would correct it and then he would write something and I would edit it and we just worked like that for a while and then we when we finally had a story that we were happy with a text that we thought was really useful to have these conversations with children we um, made it into a, an actual book to use in our classroom so I had this kind of really poorly drawn book that we read from in our classroom and then I suppose it'll be, uh, it was uh, sometime last year, early summer was it, where um, I tweeted some pictures of this book that we were using in our classrooms at school. And that then led to getting in touch with the publisher and crowdfunding the book and, and getting to the point where we are now. Amazing. So have you seen, have you seen kind of firsthand, because um, you said you, you made a, a copy, um, um, have you seen firsthand the kind of positive effects that the book can have? on children? Yeah, so I think what's been really amazing is that since me and Joe have trained, we've always recognised that there's a huge power in picture books with children. And um, Joe often says that they kind of build a bit of safe distance between the reader and the book so that you can talk about yourself, but you're not really talking about yourself. And I think you can get that from all sorts of media. So film does it really well as well. You can relate to a character, but that's because they're not really you and you can get a little bit deeper um, with that. But I think for us, we've found that if picture, if picture books are so valuable in the classroom, which we believe they are, then um, we wanted to kind of be a part of that and bring out something that was really important to do with emotions and feelings and to share it with the children in our class. We found it to be a really powerful tool for opening up conversations with children. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. It's about opening those conversations. So 
the book itself um, we're really proud of and, and we do think it's really great but actually the conversations that come out of that and how you extend that then to setting up a classroom where children talk about their feelings every day is more important than actually just the book by itself I think. Yeah I was gonna say so how do you see like the book being used do you think it being that every child would have one at home or would it be an actual educational tool that's used in schools? I think for me, I see it as a bit of a mixture of both. So I think it has value in the classroom, especially if, as Joe said, if you can create a culture that's surrounded by the ethos of the book. But then I think it's also important for, for homes to be emotionally honest spaces as well. So I think um, families need to be talking about feelings. I think we saw firsthand when mental health came, mental ill health came into our family, we saw firsthand just how little we had spoken about how we were feeling and the detrimental impact of that and so I think it's important that I'd love it if our book allowed one family the opportunity for them to talk a little bit more honestly about their feelings um, and that's kind of for me that's all it's about it's about opening up those honest spaces. What is the current state of play which has led to you thinking that this is needed so what's the current sort of curriculum if you like on mental health and stuff at the minute so what started it for me and Tom was thinking about the future that we're preparing children for and the fast change of fast pace changes in our world mean that we don't really know what our future is going to look like so the children that we teach by the time they're in their mid-20s we have no idea what knowledge they're going to need or skills they're going to need or even what jobs will be available at that time but there are some things that are certain and one of those is that they will need to be able to recognize how they're feeling and to be able to navigate the emotional experience of their life and to be able to communicate with that with that to people. So it's about, we started, I suppose, thinking about how are we actually preparing children to navigate their emotions and to understand the feelings that they, they experience. And schools are doing that well at the moment um, and there's lots of great work around mental health particularly since we were at school it's it, it's just improved and improved um, our hope is that our book just adds to that and offers a different type of conversation um, like you say we've got we've got that idea that we want these to be emotionally honest spaces in our schools and hopefully our book will facilitate those um, we're working with some other educators on like accompanying music projects and things like that which will be really cool and hopefully will allow for our book to just be part of the curriculum in schools. Yeah it'd be nice for it to sit as part of like a wider thing so if you think of like PE being you know a, a physical health you know half hour a week or whatever that is it'd be nice to think mm -hmm. that maybe some at some point you'd have a similar amount of time dedicated to mental health and your book would probably sit in there wouldn't it? I think that one of the one of the things that me and Tom talk about all the time is how this kind of work in schools needs to be in the school's culture as well as in their curriculum. So many schools um, are building it into their curriculum, which is great. And we didn't have that necessarily when we were in school. So that's brilliant. But actually, if you if you build it into your timetable and your curriculum, but you aren't embedding it in your school culture and in the conversations you have with children that you work with, you're kind of missing the point. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's about prioritising how you weave these kind of ideas and conversations into just the way that your school runs. So what's the what's the, the next stage now then with the book? So um, we've seen all over Twitter and everything that you've, you've reached your the funding target. Uh, we will put in the description of this video uh, ways you can still support the book. Um, but what's the next step now then? Where are we at? 
So it's really exciting. So what's nice about it now for me and Joe is that we get to share it with people. So we're slowly sharing pockets of people are kind of getting access to the book. So um, we've we've written what we think is a good book um, and we've shared it with some friends that we trust and um, they've given us some feedback and we've, we've changed bits and bobs. Um, and now what happens is that then goes to Unbound, which are our publishing company. Um, they then tell us what's good, um, what's not so good. And then we kind of go through that editing process um, just like we do with kids at school. And then from that point, um, and when everything's finalised and Joe's done all of the illustrations, then um, what we do then is kind of publicise, um, reach out to people who might want to collaborate with us um, in the like production of the book and um, getting it out there for anybody to access. And then anybody who has pledged so far or does so before we get to that stage will get a copy, which is like, for me and Joe, that's kind of like the icing on the cake. We're so glad that that's, that's where we're at, that we can promise everybody who pledges a copy of the book. So during this, uh, during the pandemic, I'm sure a lot of parents, their respect for anyone in your profession as rocketed, <laughs> uh, and the amount of patience you both have in particular. So we're just going to move across slightly to, to the teaching side of things. Now, I'm a bit uh, cautious to ask this question, but you know, just give us an idea of, uh, from, from, from your guys' perspective, the impact that this pandemic's had um, on your kind of day-to-day -day roles and how you think it's planned out so far. So I think that um, the pandemic has had a huge impact on a lot of things. And our job is made more difficult by the fact that we aren't in the classroom with the children every day, definitely. And there is an impact on the children um, as a result of the fact that they're not in the classroom with us every day. But I do think that he has shown just how resilient and brilliant children are. Um, they just blow me away every time. I remember that little pocket of time just before Christmas when they were all back in school and all of those worries that we had about lost learning and about um, their lack of social skills and, their, and concerns about their mental health and well-being as well so many children had just coped so well and had just got back into the swing of things really, really well. That's not to say that there aren't going to be issues further down the line or that there aren't issues currently as well for some people. But I do think that what I've noticed during this pandemic is just how, how privileged I am to be able to spend the time I do with those children in the classroom every day, definitely. I completely agree. I think the resilience of children is astonishing and has, has, has amazed me and Tom over the last year. I think one of the difficult things when we think about the impact of the pandemic on teaching and schools and education is I, I don't think that people realise what's going on in school unless you're directly connected to a school. Um, when, when we watch the news and we hear them talking about schools being closed, and that they aren't. We, we, our schools are all open and, and they've all been open the whole way through this pandemic. And I think that it's, um, it's that line in the media about schools being closed that leads to that, that kind of idea of lazy teachers, which has also been, been spoken about a lot over the last year. And I think, yeah, it's, it's just difficult because we see the reality of what's happening in schools and how hard everyone is working, particularly school leaders. The, the leadership teams in schools have done an amazing job over the last year at, at completely 
completely changing what it is that their school offers and what it is they're asking their teachers to do that I've worked for some fantastic leaders over the last year and I just I wish that people maybe saw a little bit more clearly what's happening in schools or what has happened over the last year. Yeah I think we've got a, a nine-year-old sister Maisie um, and I have to say like I completely agree with what you said Tom in terms of like they're just so they take it in their stride so well and she's you know just so malleable at that age aren't they where they just sort of go with it really and they definitely deal with it a lot better than a lot of adults have done um but i also think as well that she's been in a um a household that have had a lot of support for her in terms of the working from home and everything my concern at the start of the pandemic largely because me and tommy have both been in this position ourselves and we were kids is that there was a period in my life where school was the only place that i really felt like safe or I sort of looked forward to going to school and I worried about the millions of kids out there that haven't had that safe space really for a long time. What do you think about those kids? Yeah, I think the, the, um, to the credit of the government, they initially highlighted the fact that any children who were vulnerable or needed to be in school needed to be in school as quickly as possible. And throughout the pandemic, we've had children in school, like Joe said, schools remained open for those children so that they can still have a safe space with adults that they trust and with adults that are there to safeguard them. Um, so I think it's, it's great that that was prioritized from the very start. Um, I do think that we, this is almost why me and Joe are so passionate about the work that we do, because we recognize that every child has a different situation when they leave us at the school gate and they get to their house and for some of them, that might be not being able to talk to anybody until yeah. the next day or not knowing what they're going to be able to find to eat that night. And I think we've seen um, things like Marcus Rashford's campaign, which has just been, I think the whole of the education sector has just been blown away by what an incredible guy he is and the work that he's done. Yeah. Um, we see that there are so many children who yeah like you say they they see school as the safe space and so we need to make sure when schools do return for everybody that it is a safe space not just physically safe but emotionally safe as well so that they feel completely welcome completely trusted and completely looked after yeah i think obviously something that you're passionate about the thing with the book is children's mental health how would you say that this has impacted that specifically is it difficult for you to see that or can you tell really kids? In my experience for, for the children that I've worked with, I've seen it's been really um, varied. I've seen really varied responses to the pandemic. And I think so much of that comes down to the fact that everyone's experience of the pandemic has been so varied. Different children have had completely different experiences over the last year, which will impact their mental health in different ways. I think that it probably is too soon to tell. I think that when schools return at full capacity for a prolonged period of time, um, longer than longer than a term, for when, maybe when they run for a full year, we'll be able to see more clearly what impact this has had on on their um, on their mental health and on their kind of ability to to socialise and to collaborate and to work together as a group, which a lot of them aren't aren't doing at the moment. I think that. Um, I, like Tom said, it's just a, a reminder that we need to get our schools ready for that and to make sure that when the children do all return, schools open to full, full capacity for a full year, our schools are, are ready to try and to, to tackle any difficulties that do come as a result of, of what we've all experienced. 
I think we always, we always generalize mental health as, as a sort of thing that everybody experiences in a specific way or things like that. And I think we know as adults going through this pandemic that one day to the next can be vastly different. Last week, I was absolutely fine all week. And then Friday night, I accidentally knocked over a bowl of rice and it nearly <laughs> did me in. I was on the floor in the kitchen, like so, on my knees to my wife, like, I'm so sorry, Elise. I can't believe I'm just like, what's that? It's completely pulled me apart. So I think we have to recognise that our mental health, it just is such a, um, a constantly changing thing that we have to be aware of. And if we can teach kids those skills of checking in with themselves, being mm-hmm. emotionally aware of themselves, then hopefully they won't find themselves on the floor of their kitchen picking up <laughs> rice on a Friday night. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, Jay, what you were saying about obviously different kids having a different experience during the lockdown. So um, I think that's also comparable to say some people who've lost their jobs and others who haven't, you know, some carried on working and some haven't. And I think there's going to be probably one of the impacts coming out of this is probably bigger discrepancies, certainly financially, between people who've been able to carry on working and probably save more than they ever have. And people who haven't worked for 18 months, there's probably going to split the population a bit bigger than it had been before. It, within schools, do you think it's going to possibly split the kids between those who've had a reasonably good lockdown and, and good homeschooling and then those kids who, I assume there's kids who've literally done nothing you know, for a big parts of the last 18 months. Is that going to be difficult to sort of bridge that gap again? It, I think it, I think it, I think it will be a challenge, and I think you're right. There will be a, a wider gap between different groups of children than maybe we've seen previously. But I, I 100% trust teachers to be able to tackle that. What we do every year when when we start a new class, we gauge where the children are, we identify the gaps in their learning, we get to know them, get to know their strengths and what we need to work on with them, and then for a year that's what we do, and it will be the same. Um, the the gaps might be a bit wider. And then it might be a little bit more challenging than the normal. But I think I, I, I just 100% trust that teachers will be able to do that. I know when a, when a challenge is presented to a teacher, they'll work twice as hard to make sure that the challenge is overcome for the, for the child. Um, and I think that's what they try to do. So I think that will be what will happen. The, the education sector will surprise again those people who think that they're lazy. <laughs> have you got any, like, you've had to give one piece of advice to parents out there who have, been lumped again with the homeschooling or management of the homeschooling just one piece of easy advice from a couple of teachers what would it be my advice would be every hour that you do now is an hour closer to not having to teach your child again and letting us do it and so you're absolutely smashing it at home and we're an hour closer to us taking back over again so don't worry too much just keep Mm -hmm. on keep on powering through and I think as well, my advice would be just be honest. When I first started teaching, it was when a child asked a question or when we were looking at something that I didn't fully understand myself, I would feel embarrassed and maybe pretend that I did know what we were talking about. But actually, just be honest with your children. If you're not sure about something, then research it together, find out together, because really collaborative classrooms are the best kind. And that's the great, a great opportunity for you to model to your child learning behaviours and, and the fact that we're all learning. I just wanted to uh, briefly touch on um, your, which, is, it, is it a website, the Emotionally Honest Space, that one? Yeah. So uh, we were looking at some of the blog posts on that. I think you've actually uh, uploaded one today, as in the day we're recording, um, because next week, um, again, this was recorded on the 31st. So next week is uh, Children's Mental Health Week. 
Um, so did one of you maybe just want to briefly tell us, you know, what that blog post is about? Yes, sure. So next week is Children's Mental Health Week, which is a great opportunity for schools to initiate conversations about mental health in their classrooms. I think that we have to be cautious that it isn't the only week that we have those conversations. So what Tom and I were trying to suggest in the blog that we put together were here are some really small conversations that you can have this week in your class. And if you allow those conversations to then build into bigger conversations and to change the way that you work in your classroom, then actually those small conversations can have a really big impact on the children you work with. And that works for families as well. So at home, those conversations are just as important. We want, we want to be working collaboratively from home and school. That's when children will really thrive um, mm -hmm. emotionally. They'll be able to feel what they feel, whether they're at home or at school. And that's really important. Amazing. And how, um, who, do you, do you kind of both write the blogs together? Because like mine and Robbie's uh, relationship, for example, with the podcast, we both almost have our own roles, you know, so maybe I'll, I'll be a bit more uh, free-flowing creative-wise, but Robbie's really good at like, you know, you're very specific, aren't you, Rob? And like, especially with the editing and everything, Robbie's very, make sure there's no sloppiness and stuff. So do you have your own roles in all the projects that you approach? I think for the book, it was easy. Joe is great at drawing and then we wrote together. So um, he's also got great ideas for writing. So it's not that I do the writing and Joe does the drawing, far from it. And um, we work quite collaboratively with that. Um, Joe wrote that blog post for the website the other day and I just checked it over to make sure there were no <laughs> like typos or anything I drastically disagreed with. Um, so I think we're fortunate in that so often we're on the same, you'll find this as brothers, so often we're on the same page um, and the times when we're not, it's very clear that we're not on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how it works for us. <laughs> do you find it interesting working together? Like, do you, my question is, when you were kids, would you ever have envisaged working as closely <laughs> together when you were adults? <laughs> but how old is, like, kids? Because I think when we were, like, really young, so maybe, like, we've been really close, like, forever, really. Um, but... It's, it was probably only really from sort of like late teens to now where we've been like best mates as well. Um, so, yeah, I think like it would it would probably be a dream of both of ours that we've spoken about like for a long time to sort of work full time jobs that is like with each other, you know, have, have our own business or whatever that is. So like this podcast is a really good way of, sort of doing that if you like on the side at the minute. Um and it's a good way for both of us to like, and it's interesting what you were saying about obviously Joe, you being an artist and Tom, like with you singing and you're acting and stuff with your book and also with what you do at school, that's sort of an outlet for you to still do those things. Whereas we've probably both got something in us, which is a bit creative, but certainly with my job, I'm an accountant. Like there's no sort of scope to sort of, you know, I can't get up and do a sing and dancing around the, around the desk and stuff at work. So I sort of need something as like a course, course. outlet. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. But I don't think that it go down well. Uh, yeah, so I need like a creative sort of outlet, and that's that's what the podcast is for us, really. Um, but yeah, we love doing it together, don't we, Tom? Really? Yeah, definitely. Um, like, what more could you want, really, than you know, working with your best friends? That I think that's that'd be a dream for a lot of people, wouldn't it? So, um, and obviously, it's more difficult now because part of that enjoyment is like being together isn't it and like sitting by side by side and doing stuff so 
not quite the same, um, you know, over the phone and over Zoom and stuff, but, you know, it's still still a massive uh, enjoyable hobby for us, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. What about you guys then? So have you been close your whole lives or? No. I distinctly remember um, on a trampoline one day, I think I maybe fractured Joe's nose. I certainly dam- did enough damage. I'd say broken. I think it was broken. <laughs> <laughs> I did enough damage that he bled and kind of like crawled down to the house. And then me and my mate were just not interested. I think we sang Circle of Life on the- I think he sang a duet of Lion King while I bled to death in my bedroom. <laughs> what a way to go out though. What a way to go out. <laughs> so that, was like, that was like maybe 13, 14. I think to be fair, we probably found the same thing that we, this year working together collaboratively has been, I, I've found, I found it brilliant it's been a real tonic especially during these tricky times to be able to take our mind off things and and focus on a project it's really been helpful for us it's funny because people always comment on how how similar we are we're both teachers we're both interested in men's health work with children we both kind of want want to do the same things but in the first few years of us teaching we never spoke about it so we were both teaching and both working on on mental health work and emotional honesty work with children and never actually spoke to each other about it it's only really the last few years that we've we've seen how great how valuable that is to be able to kind of bounce ideas off each other Mm -hmm. so it seems as if now you're both in kind of you know your your dream positions you both uh, quite clearly love your jobs which is really nice to see um do you have uh, future ambitions to you know climb the ladder in terms of the education side are you you know happy where you are now what's the what's the future hold for for the Brassington brothers for me I'm I'm happy where I'm at I love I train to be a teacher and that's what I like doing the most there's definitely the scope to try some different things out and um, to develop some different skill sets and within education and I'm loving what we're doing with the book and hope that there'll be some more collaborative projects between me and Joe in the future but um, yeah for me the classroom's where it's at. I think that um, so many young teachers feel this kind of pressure to to climb the ladder and uh, but for me I love teaching and I want, I want to do it for a long time. And if I'm going to be doing it for the whole of my career, that is a long time. So I'm, I'm in no rush. I, re- I really like my job at the moment. I like what I'm doing. Yeah. Amazing. We should probably ask the question we ask every guest then from at the end, um, mm. which is if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to the 18-year-old version of yourself, what would it be? Um, I th- I th- there was a lot of mistakes that I made at 18. One was my haircut. Um, I looked, <laughs> oh, yeah. Looked like an absolute convict. Have we got a clip we can put in here? Yeah, can I get a photo? I can say that. I hate you. I'll find um, <laughs> but I would say, for me, 18 years old, um, the most important thing that I would tell my 18-year-old self would be to just be honest with people who you're sharing your most time with. So um, the people around you know much more about you than you're probably telling them just from the way that you interact so there's no point in trying to just hide those bits and bobs it's better to just be upfront and open about it i guess for me it would be about when i was 18 i kind of put this big pressure on on myself to know what i wanted to do in the future and how i was going to get there and and what was and now where we're in the point where we're working on this book which is using all the things that I love like I get to be creative I get to draw I get to write I get to collaborate with with people I never would have imagined that um at 18 so I guess it's just kind of carry do what you enjoy and trust trust that process and um 
stop trying to focus on that endpoint so much. Amazing. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on, guys. It's been a pleasure. We truly can't wait to have you on in person. Um, it's going to be brilliant. Um, we're going to put everything we can in the description uh, for people to go and check you out. So your website, your book. Um, and yes, thank you so much. Anything you want to say, Robbie, to conclude? Yeah, no, just um, if everybody's interested in this, go and pledge to the book. So obviously you've reached your target now, but that doesn't mean that people can't still pledge and get their own copy when it comes out. So yeah, is there anything you guys want to sort of say? One last pitch? Just thank you. Thanks for having us on. Thanks. It's just nice to kind of connect with brothers that's weird isn't it i guess maybe but it just it's nice it's a really lovely thing so thank you so much for having us on and yeah if you want to buy our book we'd love that <laughs> yeah i agree thank you so much it's been nice to <laughs> nice to chat with you both i really right cheers guys thank you very much you. Bye. see you later take care